You know I've been recording for some time. <laughs> it's at this point that I feel I can't go any further without alerting you to the fact. The Living room's dark, save for light being cast From the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise That's teasing the one starry sky With whispers of morning George Hey, so we're doing it, man. We're doing another Zelda. And I'm just, I am so over the top ecstatic that... I, I was just sitting there listening to you do that intro. And as opposed to being irritated by you using my name over and over and over again, I was just <laughs> I was just beaming with happiness that my name could be attached to something so amazing as the Legend of Zelda theme. That that's legit. That's good. Yeah. 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 You know. So um <laughs> we have I'm I'm looking at my notes here. We have a uh unusual amount of front loading on this episode, some of which you don't know about, so it's, I'm going to be springing in on you. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> for this episode, we played the original Legend of Zelda. Yes. Right. Which is the 1986. Yes. Legend of Zelda. Yes. The original Nintendo golden goddamn cartridge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like that, that, that did not play around. You knew if you had the Legend of Zelda cartridge because, I mean, you could blind somebody with that shit. Man. Yeah, no, it was amazing. Um, so here's some of the front loading we have to do. Uh, we have now, as of this recording, played all of the uh, cartridge-based. Well, it's not true because then N64 is cartridges. So okay, so we've played. Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, it's just because by that generation, cartridges had been left behind by sophisticated systems. Now, now you and I both know that cartridges <laughs> like had the advantage of shorter load times. You know, Way so, like, there is a plus and an advantage to using cartridges over, you know, over CD media. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, but what I'm getting at is, uh, I feel like between the two of us, um, our RPG overlap is D and D. Mm-hmm. And for you, growing up, your RPG video game was Zelda, and yes. and my RPG video games were Final Fantasies. And mm-hmm. as of this recording, we have not played a Final Fantasy yet, and I have now <laughs> given to you all of the Zeldas, <laughs> <laughs> and so I um, want something in return. Well, you see, that's 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 the thing, man. Is it is that's why I'm like a, a master negotiator and a master debater, you know? Like I just like like I, I take everything and I leave nothing because that's what it is with negotiations, right? Is that you know yeah, zero like compromise? To, yeah, z- yeah, zero compromise. You just stick to your guns, and and that's how you get things through. I mean, and and it's the same thing where you know, like again, like with baiting people, things like that. I'm great at that too. I'm, I'm in fact, I'm a master. Oh, <laughs> almost masturbated myself there. Yeah, that would have been awful. So (laughs) thank God it's not a video (laughs) podcast. Um, So I am going to make you sit through, if not a Final Fantasy, some other weird SNES RPG. So you just just, just be ready for that. Um, The other thing that I want to talk about is uh, before we talk about our nostalgia goggles for this game, 
uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that, as you said, this game came out in 1986, right? Mm -hmm. You and I, this is a game, unfortunately, neither of us have in our like physical collection, right? So we don't have beautiful, delicious gold cartridges, uh, but Correct. we both have a Nintendo Switch. So we were able to play mm -hmm. it on the Switch, which is a pretty spectacular way to play a game that's kind of like known for being confusing and hard and where there's a lot of wandering. Uh, here's the thing. We have addressed in other episodes a handful of times, huh, I wonder if they talked about any of this in the booklet. And since we're playing it on the Switch, we don't have the booklet like we do for some games. And I was like, you know, I bet if I just Google Legend of Zelda booklet that there'll be like 100 million nerd websites that have PDFs of the booklet. So mm -hmm. I did that exact thing. Nice. And... <laughs> And to say that the booklet is necessary for this game is to say that the instructions are necessary for a board game. Like, <laughs> the the book is so thoughtfully made and detailed. There's beautiful artwork. There are mm -hmm. clear step-by-step -step instructions for things like the difference between you setting up your save file, but then maybe also letting a friend set up their save file so you can play this sing seemingly single-player game together and take turns. That's why there's the retry option so that you could jump back out to the, 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 like the load screen, right? They were actually mm -hmm. envisioning that that might be a thing you would do. Hmm, interesting. It shows you all of the items that are in the game and tells you what they do. It tells you to look for people in caves that are shop owners. It tells you that some of the dungeons are hidden. It tells you that in some of the dungeons, you will get locked into the room, but there's always a way out of the room. Mm -hmm. Like, it even tells you that, it says something like, even Ganon has a weakness. Like, they spell out Everything you would need to know, and I don't mean that they hand you answers, I mean that the book reassures you that no matter what kind of confusing cluster you find yourself in, they have provided the tools to get out of that situation. And considering how the game literally just opens where you're in the middle of a field surrounded by like craggly rocks and a single cave, and you don't even have the starting weapon... It matters to have that information, knowing that going into caves is a thing they expect you to do, and then starting on a screen with a cave would be useful information to have. So mm -hmm. I, I'm not trying to pre-excuse the game for any of the parts that are confusing, because there are a lot of parts that are confusing, but they were making a very genuine attempt to say, listen... There's a lot of puzzles. Some stuff is going to seem really opaque, but we promise we've thought it all through. And they haven't thought it all through. There's a lot of stuff they just didn't know at this time <laughs> in history when it came to game design. But they were making a way above and beyond effort if you count the booklet as part of playing the game experience. If you just dive into the game, you are missing out on a lot of like little hints about how they expect you to behave. And so I just wanted to say all that because this game is confusing as hell at certain spots, but they tried. So I, to, to play devil's advocate, because I, I love me some Zelda, uh, you know, because it's, you know, better than all those crap RPGs that you played. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so uh, is that 
this would then be the equivalent of a skippable tutorial, right? Yes, that, the, that's exactly book- how I would describe it. Right. So the booklet is the tutorial, right? And so as is our job is we are viewing these with the the current lens of like, you know, what games are capable of to say, like, does it hold up by today's standards, right? I would say that this would be a, a mark against it because skippable tutorials, you know, are like iffy. Definitely skippable tutorials that you can skip without knowing that you skipped it is a hard no-no. <laughs> and that is something you could absolutely do because... 95 percent now i know what they're going for is they were going for like a really immersive experience where it's like you know like they they wanted to see you be uh the beautiful mind with like you know a map strewn (laughs) out like on your board with crazy wall you know yeah yeah they, they wanted you to have the crazy wall and to be fair having a crazy wall was the best way to beat this game but that being said, is that so that's what they were going for. But basically, they had the equivalent of an unknown, very skippable tutorial. You know, I mean, it would be very much so like if all of a sudden you got, you know, dumped, dumped out into the middle of, well, it, it would be like if all of a sudden somebody started making you play uh, um, uh, Baldur's Gate, which is based on D&D, right? And then just instead of saying like, like kind of like walking you through and saying like, okay, well, you know, like this is kind of like how you move and here's some of your spells and kind of like slowly gating you into it they just basically plopped you down in the world and all of that is explained you just have to talk to a rock it's a sentient rock but it is just a rock and there is absolutely nothing that tells you otherwise until you speak to it and then you realize all of a sudden it is the unfolding you know lsd trip that dr strange goes on of you know of the universe so yes so so i i agree with you in the sense that yes it does explain a lot but if we're if we're using you know our current day views to see if it requires nostalgia goggles, then this would fall under the bucket of skippable unknown tutorial. And and I think it's it's interesting because Nintendo, and and I mean like the Nintendo, the original NES, existed. If you look at the long arc of history, at a time when video games were still basically considered digital board games. And so thinking you have to tell the player to read the instructions probably would have sounded laughable, right? Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like I, there was probably a time in history when they first started writing the rules of games down where people balked at that. And they were like, no, in my village, this is how we play. And other people were like, yeah, that's stupid. In my village, we play this other way. And then the third person whose village you're in is like, yeah, but you're in my village and these are our rules. Right, so they, I mean, you're in my village, and there is no game. Give me all of your money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know actually, what you two I, are talking, but my my point is, <laughs> we, we, I am actively robbing you. <laughs> Why are you talking about games? <laughs> my my point is, I I can I can forgive them for not having a single screen right in the beginning of the game that says something like "Got your instruction manual handy," but. God, I wish they had, right? Because that would be that would be the linchpin that made it impossible for anyone to not know that the digital mm-hmm. experience and the physical experience rely on each other. Now they do. I don't know if, if you happened into this, because I happened into it by and this is kind of bleeding whatever, whatever. <laughs> let's let's just throw a structure to the wind. It's not like we ever really give a <laughs> shit. But uh is 
is that if you let the screen, the start screen, go for long enough, it will scroll through all of the items, all of their names, and then tell you to check the manual. Okay, really? Mm -hmm. Okay, that bums me out because that's the worst implementation of that. (laughs) (laughs) So the implementation they went with is... They've been on the screen long enough that they're probably looking for the manual. So remind them to look for the manual. (laughs) If I'm hesitating on that screen, it's probably because I'm off doing something else. If you're hesitating on the screen, it's either that or because like you've just restarted the game for the nth time and your hands are just your 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 face is cradled in your palms, (laughs) tears streaming out of your fingers. Like, I don't know what to do. And it's like, dude, check the manual. And it's like, ah yes, the manual. Yeah, so, and again, so you could see, (laughs) kind of like the camera in Mario 64, you could see that they knew what they were doing was wrong. They just didn't know how to do anything else. And they're like, well, what if, well, maybe this, and and what if if we also did this? And you're like, oh, man, just so close. Like, you're you're, you're on the right track. Just, you didn't, you didn't quite get there in this one, in this one arena of, well, explaining and, how the game works. Yeah, and it, and it feels like a design decision that because they were taking the likelihood that someone would look for the instructions that go with their digital board game, they were just taking that for granted. It's just that that assumption has aged ridiculously poorly, right? Yes. Like at the time, they surely didn't think, "Oh, well people will eventually just get all of their instructions." through the game because what no other medium ever worked that way you can't just watch two people play a pickup game of basketball and be like i now understand all of the rules of basketball it's like no no you don't you might not understand any of the rules or worse like like you playing a game of pickup basketball (laughs) i actually had that experience recently i was uh on a business trip and they were playing cornhole and i had no idea how to play and they were like all right you're up and i was literally (laughs) constantly asking i'm like okay so wait how many points did we get what just happened wait how come i got three points this time and no points the second time it was so bad that i didn't even know that the person standing beside me wasn't on my team (laughs) they were on the the other team and i'm like oh we're not on the same team and i mean that's how bad it can get so i mean that's what they're used to so it's like well of course you have to have the rules explained to you and i'm sitting here expecting a video game where i'm like well well, i'm playing the game how come this isn't unfolding for me so yeah so now a scant almost 15 minutes in uh what are your nostalgia goggles like for the original legend of zelda this is okay so this is a game that i did have in my collection as a kid i i played it so much that i would have to shove the cartridge in press it down, then shove another cartridge into the into the nest to hold it down because that was my particular magic, my village's magic yeah. for getting the game to work. Um, never beat it, never came close. Not even <laughs> not even a little. I think I think I maybe got through dungeon four, you know? Do, do you have a I, clear memory of knowing what you were trying to accomplish and not being able to nope. accomplish it? Or did you not know what to do and quit in frustration or did you think whatever you were doing which wasn't accomplishing the the task of the game was what you were supposed to be doing so none of those actually um is it it, option d all the oh um so i i'll tell you i gotta tell you a side story to 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 tell you because this is this is my equivalent of this is that um megan when uh she and i were talking a while back 
And basically, I was there, there was a thing online about Mist, you know, mm. and somebody getting really frustrated playing it, right? And you know, like you do, right? And I was like, "Huh, this is funny." And I showed it to her, and she's like, "I don't know, Mist wasn't that bad." And I like eyes wide, like kind of turned to her, like, <laughs> "What?" You know, like, like, and she's like, "Yeah." And I'm sitting here, like, like, what god level of intelligence am I dealing with here? And she's like, "Yeah, it was just like a beach simulator." <laughs> You know, and you just walk back and forth on the beach and there was a house there and that's it. That's the game. And I'm like, that was the first puzzle. You just never got past it, you know? And she's like, oh, I was like, yeah, there's way more to the game than that. She's like, oh, well, I didn't know. Um, This is my version of that, which is that I didn't know what I was trying to do. I didn't know how to do it. And I was just kind of okay with it. You know, that that was what I was poorly explaining with option C. Like you thought Ah, what you were doing was fine because you were enjoying it. Yeah. I was just having myself a blast. Occasionally I'd find a castle. And sometimes I think, I think it's like one of them, I think it's, it's, it's dungeon six. You can kind of stumble across pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So like I'd go in there and just get my balls rocked for a little bit (laughs) and like leave and go to easier things, you know? And uh, sometimes, and and the thing is that there was no correlation. Like sometimes I could get the white sword and sometimes I couldn't, I didn't know why, but you know, I just would go there and then sometimes it would happen and sometimes it wouldn't. I just set myself a ball. No idea what I was trying to do. How about you? So we did have this game when I was very young because I have a a much older brother. Um, So he had it at an age that made sense for it to be in the house. And by the time I was old enough to really play video games with any like at any time that i have memory of i don't remember playing this very much so i I know i screwed with it but i'm pretty confident that i was turned off by the difficulty and complexity right because i was just like i don't i don't know what i'm doing what do i do where do i go right so i just i don't really remember rage quitting but i also don't remember being like oh boy zelda and then yeah later i remember playing the original zelda with brian at his house but by then link to the past had come out and i do remember kind of having the mental calculus of like so why would i play that one right like why would i play super mario brothers when i could play super mario world like i didn't i don't think i had quite the idea in my mind of like oh this is like the first game and link to the past is the third one who cares about that middle one and that there's yeah, why, why would I why would I watch Lord of the Rings when I could watch Dungeons and Dragons the movie? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> metaphor I was going for. There's like there's like ten ten thousand people just unsubscribed. <laughs> just, nope, <laughs> I disagree, sir. Um, so I will yeah, fight I, for your to the death for your right to say it. <laughs> so I essentially my my clearest memory of this game, and I know this is going to sound really stupid, but my clearest memory of this game is because Brian treated his games like crap and they were just in a pile in his room was like, like smog. Yes. Like he just had his hoard of video later. He got better about it, but as a young kid, they were just everywhere. And because the cartridge is gold, like it always raised right. it out. And I was like, oh. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. You can, you can play that one. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, so for fear that we could just go on at it without actually, uh, getting into the episode you want to do visuals yeah we should so if you look at the full map right the full overworld map and then you also include all of the dungeon maps 
this game by the standards of the day is ridiculously massive. There's so much game. Just there a, is so much game. A lot game. of game. And I mean, I know it's a cartridge game, so load times aren't really a thing. But there's only a couple times in the entire time I was playing that I ever felt like, oh, it's kind of lagging a little. And it's because there were way too many sprites on screen at the same time. But like the <laughs> map always scrolls instantly. You always go in and out of dungeons basically instantly, right? I mean, plus or minus a little walk animation and the little down the stairs. But like the game is huge. And if you look yes. at any individual screen, what I realized is uh there aren't really that many different like tiles, like, like, like map tiles. Mm -hmm. And, but they're used in a way that makes them not feel mind bogglingly repetitive. Because if you look at the whole map, like if you had like the instruction guide or something, or if you look it up online, you would notice that every tree is the same tree. There's the green right. version and the brown version. And every block is the same block, right? They're just different colors. And like, mm -hmm everything is just based on palette swapping, but it never feels like you're dealing with palette swapping because the screen uh, scrolls in like full screen width segments. So when you walk mm -hmm. off the side of the screen, it doesn't scroll a little bit. The entire screen scrolls all at once, right? And what right. that means is you are looking at any given moment at an individual like little tableau, like a layout. And mm -hmm. so when you're on you know, screen A, and there's a bunch of rocks and then you go left a screen and now you're on screen B and there's a bunch of rocks, but they're in a completely different layout. It makes you focus a lot more on where things are and less exactly how they look. And so mm -hmm. the fact that all the trees are the exact same color and are the exact same size and take up exactly one tile doesn't feel samey because on this screen, there's a lot of trees. And on that screen, there's only a few trees. And on this screen, the trees are arranged in a particular way that makes me think something might be going on over there. So you spend a lot more time thinking about how the visuals are and less how the visuals look. And mm -hmm. that surprised me as a way to make not only make them able to make gigantic maps because they're reusing the same art assets con literally constantly, but mm -hmm. to prevent you from feeling like, oh, everything in this world looks identical because it doesn't feel like it looks identical. It only feels that way if you look at the entire map all at once. Right. And then the, the couple of places where they do have, you know, starkly different visuals, like, for example, in the dungeons, and in all the dungeons look, you know, use the same tiles and all that sort of stuff. But like in the dungeons and also to uh, the graveyard, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, mm -hmm. you know, so when you see stuff like that, it completely, it, it you know, it completely makes you like kind of focus in, especially because the graveyard is soft locked away, you know, because you can't get to it until I believe you have, unless you can eat, well, okay, two things. <laughs> unless you can either find your way through the lost forest. Right. Or. Um, which there's no reason why you would be able to do that just off the cuff, or if you have the ladder, the ladder, you get yeah. to it, you know. And even if you have the ladder, it's still kind of soft locked away because the enemies are going to rock you, you know. <laughs> like so, you know, like even if you are like, oh, I've got the ladder, I'm gonna make a beeline to probably not. Um, <laughs> so, so, but by the time you actually get there, you're like, oh, this does feel different and eerie because it it is different. But uh, but they do, like you said, just a great job, kind of you know changing the configuration and making the world feel very alive like each each little 
encounter area, like each screen is its own little little puzzle because of the way that the uh, map is laid out, the types of enemies that you have, the number and their layout, like how they enter the screen, which varies every time, creates its own little puzzle for every area. So you just get so focused on that as opposed to like if every area you walked into, and, and that's a, actually an interesting thought experiment. So I believe that this feels more varied as opposed to if you took, if you flipped it and did the opposite, where every area had completely different sprites, completely different like artwork, but it was all laid out the exact same way, mm-hmm. right? That would feel samey, you know? Because you'd be like, oh, another area. I guess these trees are purple. Who, who cares, you know? Whereas just change, they're like, all right, every area is going to be its own little layout and its own little puzzle. And it's, it's delightful. Well, and this is an extreme comparison, but like in the later Final Fantasies, um, from like, nope, 10 onward. Nope. <laughs> so anyway, um, those games, uh, and, and this is, I, it doesn't necessarily bother me. I, I have played games that, uh, can be negatively referred to as a hallway simulator, but those yes. games have these unbelievably rich, de- hyper detailed environments. Like, not to crap on Nintendo, but the reason Square moved the Final Fantasy franchise off of the uh, N64 and onto the PlayStation is because all they cared about basically was having the most graphically powerful hardware. And even though the N64 had a more powerful graphics card, it had like one twentieth the memory compared to a CD. Mm-hmm. So it just, there, there was no, you just couldn't even compare. And so, you know, whatever it's a, it's a quirk of history, but when you play like final fantasy 10, you really get desensitized to how rich and incredible the world looks really fast because it's basically a matte painting that you don't have to care about. You can just, and you see there's like a mini map in the corner. So you can see exactly where the boundaries of the hallway you're walking in are. So you can just like hold up, you know, and you just glide up the edge. And if it looks like you're running into a tree, but that's where the invisible barrier is, you'll just mash your face along the invisible barrier until you reach the end of the hallway. And it, you know, it's a 40 hour JRPG. So you eventually stop thinking about like, Oh my God, like look at the lighting effects in the trees. It's it's like, there's little magic happening in there. And I wonder like, could I talk to those creatures? And you very quickly realize, no, you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You're essentially watching a 40 hour movie. And again, I'm not crapping on those games. I actually love all of those games, but those are infinitely more powerful graphically and yet feel a lot less visually immersive because in a game like this where seeing where the enemies are coming from and like oh there's a little gap in the trees over there which means the the guy the bad guys i don't i don't remember what these bad guys are called the ones who throw spears oh the uh hobgoblins i don't know whatever this is where the green goblin can yep. <laughs> can come out no. and Hobgoblin. That that one's that one's his son. <laughs> is where I think I'm right on that. Actually, I, don't I, know no, I think sure I think about. you are. Um, <laughs> but like you know, if if there's a little gap in the trees, it matters because enemies might come from there, right? On some right. of the maps, if there's two little gaps in the trees, but you can only get to one of them, it means you should probably figure out how you come around from the other side to get to that other gap, right? So there's there's. I mean, I can't even think of a fraction that's realistically small enough. There is infinitely less visual fidelity to these graphics. And yet 
it feels like you need to care about them so you stay engaged in a way that you actually don't in a lot of modern games where there's a lot more visual fidelity but you're just kind of ignoring it because it doesn't actually impact the gameplay at all well and also to it um the the lack of visual fidelity in this case like because we played what was it it was gauntlet right mm. we're like that i think is kind of th- this game is 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 better <laughs> like understatement um, <laughs> this game is it, it performs at more than your expectations <laughs> but uh is um is because of the simplistic but clear visuals right is that it makes it really like you just said is that like if you enter into an area right and there's an area that you can't get to your brain immediately starts chugging and saying well i, I gotta be able to get there somewhere somehow how do I get there, right? So you like maybe go down for a little bit and then you can get over and now you go back up. Whereas in, in, in a lot of modern games, the visuals, they're, they're so realistic that they're too realistic. So unless they do a really, really good job with the level design, right, then your eyes can just completely miss stuff, you know, because it looks real. You know, I mean, I remember I was playing uh, um, Alien Isolation, and uh, and like literally, the, the the level looked real enough that I just was panicking because the alien was after me. I was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. And I was just like running back and forth and back and forth. And I couldn't figure out where to go until all of a sudden I got like a you know whatever is tail through my chest. Um, but uh, but yeah, a, so I a think that, xenomorph. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, oh yeah, so so I think that 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 simplicity of visual helps aid you with the fact that the, the kind of the whole world's a puzzle. Um, I also think that, that you kind of mentioned palette swapping in the uh, environment. I think that, you know, obviously they also do palette swapping with enemies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought that, that, you know, like, again, like palette swapping with enemies, you're always kind of like, eh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. But uh, there's so many different enemies and enemy types and the way that they move and the way they interact and all sorts of stuff that, the palette swapping didn't bother me because I didn't feel like it was, you know, Oh, we have two, you have like three bad guys and they're all just different colors. Like they're, they're like the foot clan with uh, the Ninja <laughs> turtles, you know, like I, you know, I, I would see two different color things. I'm like, ah, well this one's just a stronger one and it takes more hits. And it was so much more satisfying when I got the powerful weapon. I was like, man, you used to rock me. It used to take like four hits to kill you. And now I'll kill you in one hit. And I've got the big shield. You can't hurt me anymore. You know, yeah, and uh, no, and, and, and this is uh, palette swapping for good, right? Where the different colors are not to create variety for variety's sake, it's to communicate information. You saw the orange one before, and now you're seeing the blue one, which is the harder one, right? You saw the, the green oh, did you one, notice that the blue one's always the harder one, I believe it is in this game, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Or- orange yeah, is always less powerful, blue is always more powerful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just kind of an interesting kind of thing, where because like because then whenever I'd see a blue version of something, I'd be like, uh oh, yeah, you know, especially especially those like little manatar things, whatever. Like, oh, they're um they're supposed to be uh they're they're the lion lionels lionels. It's yeah, Lionel Richie. The, they're Lionel Richies. Yes, uh, in the new game, and just like in the new game, they will riggedy riggedy rock you if you're not prepared because yeah. i remember just being like oh yeah man i got five hearts five hearts man that is a 40 percent increase for my you know 
or no, actually more. It would be like a a 66% increase from my original heart intake. And I've got a ladder. I've got this under control. And I went down there. And all of a sudden, they were like, blam. And I was like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, maybe, so I had the opposite experience because – uh, having never played the original Legend of Zelda to you know completion or in depth, and the middle Zeldas not using that enemy for some reason, or at least not very frequently. When I played Breath of the Wild, there's all these gigantic, terrifying monsters, and then you see the lion thing, and I was just like, "Well, I mean, it's not any more terrifying than the thing that shoots lasers out of its tentacles." <laughs> yep. So I just went charging in there like a moron and just got decapitated and the game over screen is just the entire village crying and mourning <laughs> how stupid I am. And so then when I went back and played this Legend of Zelda and I went onto a screen that had like four of those things on it, and I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so like so like that Lionel like hit you so hard that he was Saitama and you were like Anything that Saitama was fighting. <laughs> and you were <laughs> not Saitama. <laughs> there are two things in the universe of One Punch Man, Saitama and not Saitama. Yeah. No, it's uh it's yeah. like the the what they teach you in Harvard Business School. Do you know this joke? Mm-mm. Oh, so <laughs> there's a book called What They Teach You in Harvard Business School, and then there's a follow-up book called What They Don't Teach You in Harvard Business School. And there are a million pictures on the internet of those two books side by side. And it says, these books contain the sum total of all human knowledge. Yeah. I mean, by definition, I used to always love going up to people and being like, I can define the universe in one sentence. That which is the letter A and that which is not the letter A. That's everything. That's all you need. Yeah. Which is hilarious uh, when you're 19. Yes. And then obvious when you're 25 (laughs) and irritating when 19-year-olds bring it up to you when you're 33. Um, so we can't talk about the visuals without talking about the bad part of that sameness because uh, the bad part of the sameness is there are a lot of hidden secrets and things in this game. I would go so far as to say more than like half of the game is actively obscured from you behind statues, rocks, trees, things you got to explode. Like that's the point, I, right? I didn't have any issue with that. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> for the rest it was of us, painfully obvious to me. I, I don't know. Yeah. For the rest of us, the game does a really good job of communicating uh, information to you through layout. So sometimes, if you're really looking closely, you'll be like, "Oh, the wall of that mountain is shaped kind of oddly. Maybe I should care about that." Or these statues, if I touch one of them, it turns into a living statue, and I have to fight it. I, iron knuckle um so maybe i should kill all of them and then sometimes there's stairs under their feet right and and so like Mm -hmm. they do communicate some of that stuff to you through design by being like oh you're on a screen with nothing on it but six statues maybe interact with those six statues and see what happens because it's a dead end there's nowhere else to go but then there's a bunch of other trees and walls that you need to bomb through. And as far as I can tell, they do not communicate this information to you in any way. There's nothing, there's no crack in the wall like they did in later Zelda games. The trees don't look slightly different from, you know, the ones you should burn down from the ones you shouldn't. Like there's zero visual or mechanical or auditory indicator that I was able to discern 
playing through this game. Like I played with a walkthrough, not ashamed of it. And there were certain things that if the walkthrough didn't tell me to do, I was like, I'm going to watch for something in the game to clue me in that I should have done this. Some cryptic thing that grandma tells you in a cave, some thing that you read somewhere, some thing that is in the description of an item and nothing, nothing. Nope. There's okay. So I, I, first of all, agreed. And, and I think that for me, the, the witness test was the fact that, like I said, when I was 10 or whatever, I got to about dungeon four or five, which is about how far I was able to make it through this time without a walkthrough, you know, before I was like, uh, all right, let's, let's do this, you know, and then got the walkthrough and was like, ah, right. So there, so I, I will say that theoretically every, all of the secrets that you have to find in order to beat the game, like the game will tell it to you one way or another, not necessarily in any way that you could possibly reasonably piece all of that together, you know? <laughs> Because, like, for example, one of the ones that that I noticed when I was getting frustrated with, like, like I'm like, what, what, just bomb every wall? Is that what I got to do, bomb every wall? But, like, if you look at the map, you know, like, you'll look at it and you'll be like, well, I just entered into a room and there's two doors. But I can see on the map that there's an area above me. Maybe I should try bombing that wall, you know, which curtailed the number of walls like it did. Up until the fact that there's an area in a black space in Dungeon 7 that yeah. you have to bomb through, which they, that was when I was like, okay, there it is. That's because that, then they're breaking their own rules, well, right? And, you know? and I feel like this is actually consistent in the Zelda franchise. And I'm glad to see that it literally goes back to the first game where they're like, oh, we're going to tell you this thing in this way 95% of the time. But 5% of the time, we're not going to tell you at all. And we're just going to see if you start throwing frustration bombs. And that's how you'll figure <laughs> out. Well, and I think that because even even uh, uh, Miyamoto, right? He, mm, um, he, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, he, he said that like his goal was that, you know, you would go and discuss it with other players and like, you know, kind of glean information that way, you know? So theoretically, statistically, if you took everyone that's playing the game, some people would find out and then spread that information verbally, which I'm kind of okay with because I really do remember with like the SNES version when somebody would be like, yeah, um, you know, like you can get this, uh, this one magical item. If you just do like the Cape, you know, it's like, mm. Oh, you know, you can get the Cape if you just do thing a and B and then C and then D. And I was like, Oh, what? And then like, I'd like wait through class and not be paying attention. Not that I was necessarily paying attention anyways. I mean, I always paid attention and did shots of chocolate milk afterwards. Hi parents. Thank you for logging in and listening. Um, and, uh, and so, but then I'd go home and like, be like super excited, like play the game and like do that. That's great. The problem is that for everything that you need to do to like finish the game, there's not necessarily any way for you to puzzle it out on your own. And they, in my opinion, deliberately visually occlude it because if they made a sprite different for trees that could potentially be burned, it'd call it out really easily. So they intentionally didn't do that. They intentionally had no visual. So I don't think this was like, oh man, they really could have used a visual cue in the day. I think they did it on purpose. And I think it was ultimately the wrong call, you know? I, so if we're giving them the benefit of the doubt on samey tiles used effectively because of layout, what I would love to know is like, so one of the screens has a bunch of rocks on it and those rocks are literally in the shape of a gigantic arrow because they're pointing, yeah. right? So, 
So they could have used, and maybe they did, and, and I'm just an idiot, but like they could have used layout to highlight things instead of highlighting them. Later, some of the, like the Wii Zeldas are, are, um, panned because they're just way the, the, too the tiny zeldas yeah the the wee little zeldas <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry um <laughs> <God damn it. laughs> um now i'm wondering whether you're gonna keep all of this just chortling it on the track so skyward sword is panned uh, skyward sword <laughs> the wee little skyward sword is panned because it's like everything is just like glowing and ridiculously obvious and just a lot of mm-hmm. like where the game pauses and it gives you direct instructions it's like go over here jump up on that right and that's i don't want that that's not right. that's that's way over correcting but they could have in my opinion done something and because they do this a little and i just wish they had done it more where like uh there's one screen like lower right side of the map where it's almost a complete forest of trees with a very narrow path through it and then a single tree in your way and once you get the candle and you realize the candle produces fire then a person could reasonably think oh, maybe I can use the candle on the tree because the candle produces fire and trees are flammable. But then Mm -hmm. they don't really do enough to say, of the 9,000 other trees, five more of them are flammable. Like, they just don't... They they give you all of the information to know that there's more interaction. Like, there's more in the world. There's more to be had. But not enough to say... Of the 9,000 trees, maybe pare it down to these 100 to start messing with. And then if you really start to notice patterns, you can pare it down to these 20. And then you'll finally find the actual five that are hiding something secret. You just have to try all 9,000 of them. And it should never be over 9,000. No, no, never. Um, And I think that, um, and this is not my last note for visual, but I think like the last one I really wanted to touch on. The fact that, like, I think that that basically, and again, you know, there's a there's a difficulty curve on on this, and it's not just the difficulty of like the game mechanically gets more difficult, but cerebrally it gets more difficult. The puzzles, the dungeons get more complex and convoluted and backtracky, and expect you to just make leaps of judgment that you can't necessarily make without a walkthrough, right? So I, I think that there's a reason why I only got to like stage four when I was a kid, you know. And I think that, that the problem was that they wanted to scale up that difficulty and they just didn't really know how to do it. So they did some things that were that worked really, really well. And then other things that worked very, very poorly. And then as they kept trying to ratchet it up and ratchet it up, it got worse and worse. And I think that the exemplar of this is the visual, if it can be so called, of Ganon, of the final <laughs> boss. You mean how right. he spends 80% of the fight invisible? Uh, for me, it was like all of it. Like, like unless I had tagged him while he was invisible, he was invisible. And then while he was visible, you know, like I couldn't do anything about it. So as far as like, yeah. you know, they're like, ah, so what we'll do to make it the most difficult is we will literally remove all visual <laughs> indicators of what it, I mean, I was getting, I was getting rocked so badly at first. I was just kind of like, I've got to be missing something. Like I've got to be, because I was like cycling through my items. I was like, maybe if I use a candle, maybe if I use the wand, maybe if I use it, it's like something has got to make him visible. And it's like, no, you just, 
swing literally just like with the bushes you swing wildly at everything until you land a hit on something and so i think that that's kind of like the embodiment of they were like this is what we're trying to do we're trying to make it harder and it's like that's not harder that's really frustrating well so the the walkthrough that i used was very detailed it's honestly <laughs> like one of the best walkthroughs i've ever seen for a video game and uh he mentions i think it was a he they the author mentions mm -hmm. uh for the ganon fight that every time you hit ganon ganon starts to move in a different pattern but that there are set patterns so if ganon mm. you know just imagine like oh ganon's in the top left corner of the square which means he's going to be in the top or the bottom right corner of the square next and then the bottom left and then the top right and then he's going to start over but if i hit him and now he's you know, over here at three o'clock, then that means next he'll be at nine o'clock and then at 12 o'clock. So there are patterns that you could learn, but first off, you would have to survive a really long time to discern those patterns. Mm -hmm. Also, they rotate every time you strike him, which makes it harder to recognize patterns with literally no visuals on the screen because he doesn't disappear and like in the cool blur effect like he does in link to the past he just literally is not on the screen at all and then you finally uh have to shoot him with a silver arrow when he's brown which mm -hmm. you could make that intuitively because you get that right at the very end of the game ganon's supposed to have only one weakness your sword doesn't seem to be killing him because he's reacting slightly differently than the monsters that you deal damage to um, so there, there are some indicators that you might have to try something different, but all of that is assuming a lot of intuitive leaps that you don't have time to consider because if you are sitting there thinking about them, he is killing you. Yes. <laughs> and I would say that, um, this, this would then go back to, uh, determinism where basically if, you know, if we look at, you know, like, like the idea of hard determinism where, you know, like everything is based on physics, including your brain chemistry, which means that every decision that you've ever made is based off of physics and thus it's hard determinism all the way down, right? But because the system is so completely complex, we, the illusion becomes perfect and we have the Ill perfect illusion of free will. So by extension, we effectively have free will. It's like the opposite, which is that the <laughs> system is so complex, there is effectively no pattern, you know? Yeah. So is there a pattern? Yeah. I mean, like, do we have free will? Well, I mean, no, but you, you basically do. And they and, and the game basically doesn't have a pattern. Well, and, and the so. patterns are, first off, Link does not travel all that fast through space. So unless you really have the pattern deeply internalized, you're not going to get to where Ganon is ahead of when Ganon gets there. And so even in the walkthrough, and I actually figured this out on my own, and then I looked at the walkthrough and it said to do exactly what I ended up doing, which is just pick a corner and stab toward yep. the center of the screen from the corner until you've hit him three times. And then yep. when he turns brown, you silver arrow him to death. So like, even the walkthrough that recognized like there is a pattern to his movement and it's completely predictable, but don't don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, do you have anything else for visuals that, I mean, like I said, there's tons of stuff for visuals, but I mean, barring a three hour episode. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm good to go on to the audio, the, the audio. So, um, <laughs> this is a complaint that you have regularly. And since I'm sure it's in bold at the top of your list, is um so so you know like the, the 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 nes can can only produce so many sounds at a time 
<laughs> no, do it. Go through the right. whole thing because this might be somebody's first episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it can only produce so many so many sounds at a time, right? So basically, if you have another sound that is in the same range as like the music, the music will duck out to produce the sound. And man, does it do it in this game. This game, like the sound ducks hard. It ducks harder than a diamond reinforced with nanotubes, man. <laughs> it is... It, 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 it dude it is a hard duck. like to the point where it like to the to the point where it almost was its own song like when i was shuffling through my items you know like but yeah i mean because there's so many things that make almost like that rupee that high-pitched like bling sound yeah and that's really integral to the musical score they were using so yeah no it was it was bad man yeah and it's they, they just they're they're ears were bigger than their stomach i guess on this one because like they first off uh you know scrolling quickly through wikipedia like i do because i always include the wikipedia link to any games we played um apparently the the guy who did the original sound design and the original composition still works on the audio for zelda games to this day which is like kind of awesome but yeah if you listen to uh, the audio in Breath of the Wild or Ocarina of Time or uh, Link to the Past, you know, e- each time there was like a generational skip, not including the wee little Skyward Sword because that doesn't yeah. count. Um, but each time there was like a a raw hardware advancement, you can just tell that that dude was just licking his chops because he was like, now I can make the scores even richer. Now I can make the <laughs> fire sound even more realistic. Like, and and he has obviously felt that way since the 1980s because he did not skimp on the complexity of the music. He did not skimp on the richness of the sound effects, but he unfortunately was using an instrument that could only entertain one of those things at a time. So I think that what happened was basically, you know, like, like he's saying, he's like, I shall have this amazing, rich musical score. And like the people who had to execute on it, they were like, okay, like the, the hardware expert, he's like, okay. And, and, and he's like, and I shall also have amazingly rich sound effects. And the guy's like, oh no, you can't do both. It's, it's one or the other. And, and he like, like, like gently places his hand on, on, on the, the guy's shoulder, pulled him in close. And he's like, I shall have both or your head. And then, like, sent him off. And then, like, so now the game releases, and he's like saying they're playing it, and he goes like, he goes like, do 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 do. You know, like this, like, like he hears it, like duck out, and you see him like eyes go wide. He slowly looks at the person. He's like, what else was I gonna do? I just wanted another month to live. You know, like, like, sure, I told you I could do it because you were gonna fire me otherwise. Like, just just needed to get my affairs in order. Yeah, you know, like I just, uh, yeah, but it got dark. But um, but but yeah, I mean, like I, I just think that that literally they were like, we shall have like somebody somewhere said we shall have both, yeah. and and somebody on the ground floor was like, you can't do that, and they were like, make it happen, and it just it could not be done, and man, and the thing is that it's not, it's not like it, I like I was like, and thus by extension the music is terrible. No, it's, it's still all great, but it's just. It is super obvious that it's happening. It it's super obvious, and it is the obviousness, the obviousity is compounded by the fact that, unlike a lot of video game music, these 
these melodies are known. It is known, right? Like they, <laughs> they are well known in pop culture. Even if you have never played any of the Zelda games, there is a non-zero chance if somebody whistled it or hummed like the Hyrule theme that you would be like, oh, I think that's like from a video game or something. Like I've heard that somewhere before, right? Like it's because that song has pervaded pop culture. Like it's doesn't system of a down always gets credit for that song, but I think it's, it's, it's not, not system of a down, but yes, it, it is. They, they're the ones who always get credit. And I can actually tell you this is true because Megan um, had never played a Zelda game, but when I, when I booted up, the SNES version, she said, like, oh, this uh, it sounds like Smash Brothers. And like, <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I mean... You know, you're not, you're not wrong. That, that's like me with the, the Pokemon music. To me, the, the Pokemon mm. music is a Smash Brothers song, not a Pokemon song. Or like, uh, uh, oh, what was it? The, the game where you play an angel and you're... Uh, oh, Actress. Um, it's like this... Actraiser. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the Actraiser music where it's like, oh, this is the music from extra history, yeah. you know? Yeah. Close. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. But but <laughs> because this music is that level of pop culture permeation or per no, that kind of works. Permeositude. Yeah. <laughs> because it is that uh deeply into pop culture when you hear random notes of the melody drop out because they are random, right? Because it's based on your mm -hmm. actions and whatever you're doing in the world, scrolling through your menu, fighting an enemy, defeating a boss, right? Like picking up a rupee, picking up rupees, like because your random actions are what are making notes drop out of the melody. It's really, really jarring. And if this was a bullet hell game where every time you pulled the trigger, it messed with the melody. You probably wouldn't notice because in a bullet hell game, like you're not really paying attention to the music, right? If this was a puzzle game where every time a thing happened, like you, like if it was Tetris and every time you completed a line, like music dropped out, you probably would notice because you'd be focused on the noise, the success noise. Like, Oh, I completed a line. Right. But in Zelda, when you are constantly like it or not humming along, and then random notes are dropping out of the melody. It's it's just it's disorienting. It's just really really mm -hmm. jarring. And as you say, it doesn't make the music any less enjoyable. But it is impossible not to notice that that is a thing that cannot possibly have aged well. It it by necessity had to have aged poorly because if it didn't, the music wouldn't be so deeply a part of pop culture right like they 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 it is it is cyclical circular it is all of this has happened before <laughs> and all of it shall happen again but uh but yeah i mean aside kind of you, you already hit on it you know that that was the the main music thing that i had is that the music hard ducks out i mean you know if you want to here honestly like what, what else are you gonna say about the music the music's amazing it's iconic uh, just if you want to hear a lot about the music go find somebody who knows way more about music than us and then watch an entire podcast of that because i'm sure there's a bajillion t and five of them um the only other thing i really had for uh for audio is that um i did feel that uh they did a good job with uh you know audio and surface of gameplay in the sense that like when your boomerang hits something it makes a very distinct sound effect when you set something on fire it makes a very distinct sound effect Things like that. So that way, like, there was never any doubt in my mind if I landed a hit with my boomerang, which is super important because I need to know whether or not that thing is going to continue to advance on me or not. Um, 
but uh but yeah i mean aside from that you know the the sound was uh was good well and i think these two things good. kind of dovetail off of each other in an important way which is the musical score which is delightful and wonderful and everybody should love it is regularly interrupted by incredibly important and useful meaningful information in the form of sound effects so you you can be a lot more forgiving of like ah man you're talking over my favorite song when they're telling you like you're about to get hit by a car and it's like oh thank you for telling me that because that was actually more important than listening to the song right so knowing right. knowing you did damage knowing you've stunned an enemy knowing you've you know unlocked something like when you push a block and you know obviously you see the stairs appear or the door open but hearing that visual cue, knowing when you take damage, because the you taking damage noise and the them taking damage noise is a distinctly different noise, which is nice because those things can happen very close to each other. Um, I think that makes it forgivable that they would say, okay, we're going to write this really rich musical score and we're going to have these really, uh, you know, phonically detailed sound effects. The sound effects are always going to take precedent because the music will never be the difference between life and death, but the sound effects might. And so those are always going to win out over music. And and I, I mean, frankly, I agree with that design choice, but it also is not something that I could say every game that has this problem can claim. Not every game where the music ducks out under the sound effects can say, oh, but that noise was necessary. But in Zelda, I would say every single one of the noises that makes the the music duck out wh- that was the correct choice yes yeah no absolutely the only time when i would say that that it wasn't was just the um the the item select menu you know like when i was going through that you know and like just kind of selecting an item like hearing the music just duck and duck and duck i was like eh, i didn't really need that but aside from that i, I agree completely like no that, that's fair you need, you, yeah you need to know like when when you're about to get tagged or when you've tagged something or, you know, what have you, that's some, some important information. So the, the last thing I'll say about the audio, cause uh, just like the visuals don't really tell you, Hey, there's a secret over there. Um, the audio also doesn't really give you information to help you explore the world. Most of the audio is reactive, right? I got hit. Mm-hmm. I hit them. I, revealed a secret staircase i successfully burned down a tree right almost all of the audio maybe even all of the audio is reactive and the one exception to that i can think of is also something i don't think they ever did in any other zelda games at least not in my memory um when you are wandering through a dungeon because uh, you may not get the map by the time you're near the boss room if you are within mm-hmm. one screen of the boss room, you hear like this monster roaring noise, which tells yeah. you which is like the next room really you go intense. into might have the boss in it. And you don't know. You don't know if it's coming from north, south, east, or west, right? And so then it becomes kind of like Minesweeper. Like if you go over one screen and you still hear it, it's like, oh, I'm circling around the boss now, but is it above me or below me, right? Like so there's there's just this very kind of cool, it adds like an ominous uh, sort of threat to the dungeon where you've been solving little puzzles and defeating little combat trials to like progress through the dungeon. And now suddenly you're like feeling ominous about the next room 
not the room you're in, but the room you might go into next. And I just, I thought that that was such a cool touch. And I honestly don't know why they cut that out of later Zelda games. I know some of the later Zelda games have these incredibly theatrical boss rooms that are totally divorced Mm -hmm. from the dungeon they were in, but not all of them. Like some of them, you might have no idea that the, the boss is in the next room. Right. And, and so having that, that little bit of like scariness, I think would have been a cool thing to keep. They couldn't have really done it in link to the past because you know, the boss is in the room behind the boss, the, the master key door or the big key door. Mm -hmm. So like, that they kind of traded out the audio for the visual, but it also takes the fear out of it and makes it into another puzzle. Like they traded the unknown for the knowable. Well, and also too, like I, I just, you know, like you said, it creates this kind of ambience too, you know, where it's just kind of like, you know, I remember the first time I'd be walking around the dungeon and all of a sudden I heard that like that like intense boss noise. I was like, what is that? <laughs> you know, like what what is it's it's very much so the emotional equivalent of the T-Rex stomping the ground and just seeing yeah, the, the ripples in the water, water <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, so I definitely think that they could have gotten more mileage out of that, but I, did, I do think it was a great addition to this particular title. So, um, Mechanics, gameplay? Yeah, all that, cr- and all that crep. Um, controls? I, do... I actually have a note on controls. Oh, yay. Okay, so I also want to specifically mention something about controls, but please uh, go first. So um, so we did play this on the Switch, right? So one of the things that's interesting about the Switch is it has both an analog stick and the D-pad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so the, the interesting thing is that originally I was using the analog stick because that's just my default. And I did that for about, eh, about 10 minutes. So you realized it's I horrible? It is horrible <laughs> because Link only moves on right angles. Yes. Right? So you can't, if if you pull down at a 45, he does not move at a 45. He moves either down or to the left. And after years of being able to move, like, at every possible variation of the, the degrees, like, I was like, oh, if I can't, because I, I got frustrated a couple times because I was like, no, why did I, like, start, like, making a beeline left? I was trying to go down well i guess i was trying to kind of in my mind go down and to the left i'm going to press specific buttons so this is something that's interesting so like you know like the game was actually built around having a d-pad so not having a d-pad made a huge difference and you know so i just thought that that was very interesting because you're like well obviously always having an analog stick is better because it allows you to make all of these like you know graded like decisions and it's like that's true if the game lets you do that if the game doesn't let you do that then you've got to make sure that the user interface is matching the game design because if it doesn't it would it, it's really frustrating yeah and and i i can't back this up with hard data but i suspect in a game like if, if you virtualized uh like in the the nintendo virtual console if you virtualized like a super nintendo era game where you had eight point so you could do like north east but also northeast right then the Mm -hmm. analog stick might not be so bad because it would be you would kind of learn those gradations right but when you have a gigantic 90 degrees and it's expecting strictly true input because really the d-pad is not 
a button that you lean into the up position or you lean into the right position. It is just four buttons. There's an up button, a down button, a left button, and a right button. And it's just shaped like a single physical plus sign. So it's Mm -hmm. expecting very true input because that's all it knows how to accept. Like that's literally the physical design of the controller on the super Nintendo and on the Genesis and on, you know, more modern consoles, there are actually rockers in between the true points of the compass and so an analog stick might be a little bit more forgiving for one of those but honestly having grown up at that time in history if i'm playing a game that has either four point or eight point movement i'd really rather use a d-pad i'd i would rather hold down up and right to go up and right than lean a stick upright if if it's eight point movement and the weird thing that i and, and again like i can definitely understand like why they didn't want to throw in an additional like four animations of Link and the ability to move at a 45-degree angle. Totally get that. Weird thing is, though, is the game is capable of registering it because you can throw your boomerang at a 45-degree angle. And there are enemies you know? that move on 45-degree angles. Right. So, you know, like, it's just kind of like... So, you know, again, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, throw my boomerang all this sort of stuff. But then when I... The movement, I was like, no, no, no. So, so yeah, so it, like you said, it is just kind of something something to be aware of for our for our listeners is that if you're going to go back and, and play old school games, make sure that you have an appropriate <laughs> user interface, because if you don't, it may screw everything up forever. Yeah. Um, so my my note about the controls is uh, you were off on assignment in an undisclosed location. Um, so you were not able to play Link's Awakening. Uh, Mike Mike subbed in for you admirably to play that game. And the thing about Link's Awakening on uh, the Game Boy is that game came out after uh, Link to the Past. So it is actually technically the fourth Zelda, right? Because there's the original mm-hmm. Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, the one we don't talk about. Adventures of Link. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Link to the Past, and then Link's Awakening. And so Link's Awakening, and then of time. you would hope... And then Ocarina of Time. And then Ocarina of Which Time. Which one? Uh, oh, is that is that the one? Is that the one that's based on the same yeah. game engine as as the uh, vastly superior and critically acclaimed Majora's Mask? Get out! <laughs> <laughs> so, so you would have expected that Link's Awakening would have learned a bunch of things from this illustrious lineage that it has, but uh, if you listen to that episode, uh, you will hear me complain a lot about how every single item has to be used. There are almost no passive items in that game. And some of them, it makes sense, but some of them, it is a really obnoxious choice. And when we started playing this game, I was very aware that you have an A slot and a B slot. And I was like, Oh no, there's eventually going to be some stupid thing. And it's going to like prompt me or some crap every time I touch it. And I'm going to hate it. No, they actually totally understood the concept of passive items, even in the original Legend of Zelda, because you get the power bracelet and that's passive. You get the ladder and that just works like from the word go. Yeah, the raft uh, from the word go. There are passive items in this game that the game either just uses for you or uses when it's like the right time to use it. And so the fact that they like went backwards on that in Link's Awakening now p- 
pisses me off all over again. Cause it's like, it's, <laughs> it, it wasn't a limitation of a two button console because the Nintendo is a two button console. The Nintendo and the Game Boy have the exact same amount of physical inputs. And yet somehow between 1986 and 1994 or, or whenever uh, Link's Awakening came out almost a decade later, they somehow forgot, Oh yeah, some items could just automatically work when you interact with the thing. If you have that item in your inventory and we don't have to be pains in the ass about it. Like, that like re infuriates me. Like the fire is really, it's like when you think you put out your campfire and then like your uncle who's been camping a lot longer than you is like, yeah, you should really douse it. And you're like, no, no, it burned all the way down. It's fine. It's like, yeah, you need to douse it anyway. And you're like, no, no, it's fine. And then you're on your way home and you know, he's listening to the ball game on the radio and it's like, Oh my God, there's a forest fire. Everybody get out of this area. And you're like, ah, That's what it feels like. It feels like I was done with this nonsense. I had given up the fact that it was just a bad design decision on the Game Boy because they were trying to make it do what you needed six buttons to do on the Super Nintendo. But no, no, nope. This was just sloppy design. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm done now. I'm just, but... (laughs) but it just really pisses me off that they somehow unlearned that lesson and it gives me extra respect for the original legend of zelda this game because they got it right the first time yep yeah no um and that's i think absolutely critical because if every single item that you got like you had to like i mean like you know the, the the blue ring and then the red ring which i think honestly i think they were probably like oh he has to get better armor it's like dude we can't we can't render armor in a way that looks like anything without link in it on a screen. It's like, can we make a ring? But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, they, 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 they do a, a really great, great job with that. The one, one of the notes I have for, um, for gameplay that this kind of links back to what we were saying, but I think that this is just the, the, my little rant, my piece de resistance on this particular issue, which is um, Ganon's castle if we're going to talk about things that are obtuse and like completely unmanageable, like, like, yeah, there's, there's tons of secrets that you just have to bomb everything in the world, but like getting to Ganon's castle, I think was like, you know, there's a secret in the eyes near death mountain or something like that. And I was like, I, okay. I mean, no, I would have never put those two things together. And, and thank you for, for having played Castlevania before or being the inspiration for Simon's Quest. <laughs> but, like, but, you know, like, whatever. But, but then, man, when you get into that dungeon, like, I got into it. And, you know, like, I was, like, playing because I had to be the hero of Hyrule. I wanted to finish this for the podcast. And I literally wrapped on it, like, an hour before we played. So the moment I walked in, I'm like, I'm not going to try this on my own. I'm going to use walkthrough. And I pulled up the map of the walkthrough, and I was like, <laughs> what? Right? Are you kidding me? And then, like, and, and it shows you the most efficient path to go through, and that is, holy crap, complicated, you know? So, like, when the streamlined everything else out of the way, I mean, I would have spent, like, the rest, I would be this age now if I had started when I was 10 <laughs> without a walkthrough. I would still be finishing it at about the same time. So so this, this forks into something I really wanted to talk to you about. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to change the subject to me. These things are directly related. Did you get the magic? No, I, mean, I got it off my track. Okay. Did, <laughs> did you get the magic key? I did not. I assume it just opens all doors. Yes. Okay. So this is the thing that we need to talk about. So, so in this game, 
liking every Zelda, but this is the first one. And it's cool to see where these foundational things, you know, go all the way back to the original route. Uh, keys are a big part of how you solve puzzles, right? Sometimes you need to go right, but you can't because the door is locked and you don't have any keys. But what you can do is go left. And then there's a, a bunch of monsters you got to kill and they're hard. But if you kill them all, you get a key and then you can go back and now you can go through the right door, right? And that basic construct is sprinkled like salt and pepper throughout the Zelda universe, right? That's a big part of why going through dungeons is complicated is because you need to go right, but the thing you need to go right is over there to the left, right? That you could reduce it to that basic construct. Well, <laughs> every other Zelda game I've ever played, which is at this point, most of them, not all of them, but the vast majority. Not, not Sword. No. <laughs> I also I miss Nobody. I miss the Game Boy Advanced ones, but do those count? I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, but I mean they they all fit the Zelda formula more or less, and the original one, this one, is the only one I can recall where you can go into a shop and purchase keys. Oh, even worse, you can use keys from dungeon one on dungeon nine or eight or seven or whatever. So you can really screw yourself. Yes. Which is, I assume why they allow you to purchase keys because otherwise it would be impossible to be like, Oh, I didn't actually look in every single room in dungeon one. There must've been a key that I left behind there, which by the way, that's another thing the booklet tells you to do is check every room. Yeah. Because if you don't, you can totally, I mean, like, I mean, the blue boomerang, you can play the whole game without getting the blue boomerang because the room that it's in is super hard. And I almost abandoned it a couple of times. And uh, but then I did and I persevered. And I was like, oh, this was the item for this dungeon was in here. I almost just kind of completely gave up on it and would have never known. Yeah. Oh, that's and another thing is you can beat the dungeon without getting the dungeon item because it's not like the later Zeldas where the dungeon item is how you beat the dungeon. Oh, even more hilarious, since we're just going to keep pinging <laughs> off each other. The dungeon item is sometimes specifically useless in defeating the boss, because I think it's in Dungeon 8, where it's the crab boss, right? Mm -hmm. And so I got to the crab boss, and I and I, and he looks like an armored crab, so I'm like, ah, my sword's not going to work on this guy. So swing, swing with the sword, nothing, threw a couple of bombs. I was like, all right, I got to clearly go get the magic wand, which I was just going to pass on, because I didn't care. <laughs> I'm going to go back and go get the magic wand, go back, get the magic wand, use the magic wand, doesn't work. And I'm like, the hell, man? <laughs> it was arrows. Yeah. It was arrows, which I'm not sure of, but you have to buy the arrow, right? You have to buy the bow. No, you, you get the bow. You buy the arrow. Mm. You. I know you don't buy the bow. I know you pick the bow up, or at least I pick the bow yeah. up. Yeah, it it might be one of those things you can do both where you can buy it or Possibly. buy it or find it. And and so that this is, this is all circling into one giant uh, jambalaya of it's not gumbo. Cause gumbo has to have specific ingredients, but it's, Oh, but, but if we're talking about, about gumbo and, <laughs> and, and meat and stuff, just, I got it. That the, the one dungeon in dungeon six, where you got to feed that guy <laughs> meat that you bought in a store somewhere. Yeah. And all he does is grumble at you. I mean, like I literally, he's like grumble, grumble. I was like, I'm just going to murder this guy. I can't murder him. So I'm like, uh, so I tried a whole bunch of stuff and it just didn't work. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to look it up. It's like, well, you got to get the meat. I'm like, well, how the <laughs> was I supposed to know that? Like, 
it's just nothing, nothing. So sorry, you said, you know, like, this is all one giant jambalaya. It's like, <gasps> speaking of meat, sorry. Well, the, no, you're, you are right to feel this way because <laughs> I, I feel pretty strongly that every game from this time in history is made at least mildly harder by how poorly it was translated into English. And I'm not saying that these things would have been super obvious and, oh my God, it's so on the nose if we played it in the original Japanese, but I guarantee you it's less confusing in the original Japanese because first off, not for us, no, not for us, but first, <laughs> first off, that's the original language. So they were more aware of how opaque they were making things. And secondly, you can communicate a lot more information in the same amount of Japanese characters as you can than you can in English characters. So when we see grumble, grumble, that might be a page and a half of Japanese, like if you translate it into English. So they had some advantage. And I mean, it's just, it, it can't be helped. Like I'm not blaming anyone, but I'm maybe in the original I Japanese, the meat that we, blame we are blaming we them. Blame but like someone. maybe in the original Japanese, the, the symbols they use there like very clearly communicate like stomach Hunger. grumbling, right? Mm. Because grumble, grumble in English to me is when someone's like, oh, this right? Like, emotion. Yeah. And that, that is not what, when someone's like that, unless I sell Snickers for a living, I'm not thinking I should give them food, right? Like, it, it's just. You know, if somebody's doing that, I'm, I'm like giving them like at least an arm's an arm's length first. Like if they're yeah. if they're walking around like grumble grumble, I'm not like, hey buddy, you want a Snickers? Because I think I might get punched <laughs> in the face. Well, remember they had that campaign like, oh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Have a Snickers. No, come on, that was a deep <laughs> pop culture reference to consumer horrorism. Anyway, <laughs> no, I just the, the only one I remember is like, give me a break, give me a break, break me off a piece of that. Chrysler car. Yeah. Yep. Football cream. <laughs> so all, all of this, what this jambalaya makes is uh, the game does not expect you or force you or require you to do more things than you would expect. Right. You can mm-hmm. beat bosses and get pieces of the Triforce without clearing the entire dungeon you can beat bosses without getting items in the dungeon you can go through huge beat them in the wrong order yeah you can go in the wrong order you can go through huge chunks of the game without realizing you've been leaving keys and things behind as you go and the fact what brought all this up for me is that like i said that walkthrough i went through was incredibly detailed and it said if you get the magic key this is the most efficient order to go through uh, uh, Death Mountain. If you have to use the keys that are in Death Mountain's dungeon, this is the most efficient order. And I mean, it's different by like double. You have to go through like twice as many oh, yeah. rooms without the magic key as if you have the magic key. So it's essentially the game designers were obviously thinking, well, there's keys in all the dungeons. If you missed a bunch of the keys or if you went through the dungeon skipping things that are skippable because you somehow knew that or lucked into it, you might have keys when you go into the last dungeon that you otherwise would have spent. And you can also buy keys, so maybe you use them 
like a resource where you like stock up on keys before you go into a dungeon. I don't think of Zelda games that way, but maybe they were thinking of keys as a thing you buy. Like you might buy a health potion before you go into the dungeon, which by the way, I completely skipped the text. That's like, Oh, show the old lady this note. And then you can buy health potions. (laughs) Like I just, I just ate over that text really hard. And so I went through the (laughs) entire game without being able to buy health potions. Oh, yeah. No, dude, having health potions was super clutch. Actually, yeah. f- funny side yeah, note, was, I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, because I was I was fighting like one of the mini bosses in Ganon's dungeon, right? Because I had my red potion and I was like, I, I knew where I was. And I was like, I was like, I got this. So, you know, I was like swinging at him and he was like three quarters of the way dead. And I was like, all right, you know, and, and I, I had like a heart and a half left. And I was like, eh, now's the time. So I use it. And as my hearts are filling up, I just looked over to Megan. I was like, um, this is the all is lost moment for the mini boss. Just <laughs> so you know, like, like, you know, like the entire dungeon, the whole time is like, Oh, we've been working them down. Like many have fallen on the wayside, but, <laughs> but here he's finally worn down. He's bleeding. He's broken. And we can land the final blow. And then he just quaffs a potion of which it was a red potion. So I still had another potion. And like, I am now completely at full health firing my sword at him for some reason. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it's like, I'm like, this is, I mean, I'm the, I'm the storybook villain, especially because, you know, this game, because it's on the switch had save state. So I'm also time traveling, you know? So like I am a hundred percent, the storybook villain who was just walking through and Ganon is just this poor person who is trying his best to keep his kingdom together, I guess. Wait a minute. Are we the bad guys? Oh, yeah. absolutely. No, but 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 the the name of this jambalaya is this game is made completely different by their handling of keys. And I know that's not going to look good on a menu, but we're going to write it in French and we're going to do it in cursive <laughs> and it's going to be great. But this game, I'm pretty confident is the only one or at least the only mainline one that treats keys in this way and it changes everything. Yes, because it changes the puzzle. I mean, it would, it's, it's literally, it's literally like if somebody handed you a Rubik's cube for a hundred rupees, you could move the colors around on it, you know, like, well, or it, if, which is the only way I can solve the Rubik's cube. I don't yeah. It, it's just, it's a, it's a weird, it, it's, it creates an abstraction that I think is, I don't know if I necessarily like it, but I think it's interesting that in the later Zelda games, I think it's pretty fair to say that a a given dungeon is its own little contained unit. And mm-hmm. the world is a kind of dungeon that links you to other dungeons. In the original right. Legend of Zelda, the dungeons are just an extension of the world. And the entire game is one huge puzzle because being able to finish level one, because they call them levels, being able to finish the first dungeon with keys in hand and then go buy more keys because now you have a bunch of rupees and then go into the second dungeon and just be blazing through locked doors like you own the place creates a totally different dynamic between the what we usually think of as the overworld and the dungeons. And I don't like I said, I don't know if I like that. I think it creates a lot of expectation that the player can keep all of that information in their head, which is mm-hmm. an unreasonable expectation. But 
it does link the overworld and the dungeons in a way that's a lot more cohesive than in the later games where each dungeon is its own little packaged unit. And when you're done, you are done and you would never even think of going back. You're done with it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> done. Bored with it now. Um, there's, there's two other like minor things I wanted to kind of point to one, which is the, this should have probably been put into visuals, but there were a couple of places where the enemy design, I did not think kind of belied their weakness. And the one that um, I hated the most about this, which was in the dungeon where you get the recorder, right? You know, <laughs> the flute. I believe it's the recorder. I just, Slap that. I just don't, I just don't want that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, Come on, man, slap that. No, because if if I'm right and it is the flute, <laughs> then it's just the way it always should have been. And if I'm wrong, you get to slap <laughs> me physically and emotionally. It's true. Um, but anyways, when you get the, the, the recorder, right, in that dungeon, there are these little, like, rat things with huge ears, right? And I was like, oh, yeah, they're, here they're, we go. They're, they're rabbit things. They're, yeah. yeah. Yeah, arrows. Yeah. Yeah, arrows. <laughs> They're the things with the huge ears in the dungeon where you get the recorder. I'm like, oh, dude. So I like went, went placing in this room. I'm like, my time has come. And I just like play this, like I drop this super sick beat, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I'm just sitting there like, go Teen Titans, go, go Teen Titans, go. And then like, I just, um, and just get like, just wrecked by this thing. And I was like, what what happened? It wasn't until Dungeon Nine where there was like a bajillion of them like flying around. I just like fired one arrow that killed four of them, and I was like, "You've really, really." So that I felt <laughs> I felt lied to. So like again, you know, I I don't I think all, was all that they accomplished in this game. This is a minor niggling detail, but it did bother me. Well, and this is delightful to me because having played through Link's Awakening recently which also has this enemy and I had to know because you must know in that game that they are vulnerable to the arrows because they're either only vulnerable to the arrows or the disparity between the arrows and the sword is so massive that it's irrelevant um so I I didn't it didn't even occur to me like oh look at these things with giant ears and I just got a thing that makes noise those two things must be related so I'm actually kind of on your side with this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so there's that and then um with the the obtuse design right we're like there's just stuff that you're supposed to know right like there was just one final and it was so mild and so dumb but just it's in my opinion such an unnecessary slap to the face which is after you have beaten ganon and you've killed him with the silver arrows that you're supposed to know about after attacking him three times while he's dampening around the room invisible and you finally go and Princess Zelda's there. She is surrounded by fire <laughs> that you have to know to swing your sword at, which has never worked in the entire game or come up at all. To, so it was just like that one final like F you to the player in my mind of like, no, figure this one out, genius. Put the fire out with your sword. And it's like, why? Especially Why if, are you like if you somehow went through the whole game with the wooden sword, would you be like, I, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not working. Or if you went through the whole game with no sword. <gasps> no. Um, 
So uh, there, there's two other things I want to dig in on a little bit. Um, one is, and I can't believe I'm the one bringing this up because I swear if I went back through every other episode, you would be the one who brought this up. But mm-hmm. the cycle time in this game was making me like claw my eyes out until I realized I actually don't think the way they designed the cycle time is an accident. So bear with me because this is going to sound a lot like I'm trying to make excuses for a game that is regarded as a classic, but hear me out. We know that they intentionally designed the game so that you have access to multiple dungeons from the word go and that you can get keys all over the place and that you don't have to really progress through the game in a strictly linear way. There are certain things you have to do before other things. Like you can't cross the river until you have the ladder. You can't go to the one dungeon until you have the raft, but there's not one true order that the game forces you into. There's an ideal order, but then there's lots of variation that the player could choose or more likely just stumble on by accident, right? It says that when you go into a dungeon, it says the level in small letters up in the top corner, but you could easily ignore that or not know that it matters, right? So anyway, when you die, you get kicked out of a dungeon and you're, you're Mm -hmm. at the door and no matter how much health you have in total, you always respawn with three hearts. That's true. Potions help with Potions, that. Potions. There's the fairy ponds. Lakes? Fairy lake sounds mm-hmm. weird. There's the fairy ponds. Fairy fountains? Yeah. No, they're, 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 they're ponds. Yeah. They're not lake size. Because yeah. that, that giant mass of water, that's Lake Hialeah. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. yeah. So there's... That's a lake. Yeah. So the, there are places to recover your health and then take another crack at that same dungeon. But... Here is what I think. I think the reason they kick you out to the door of the dungeon with only three hearts, no matter how many hearts you have in total, is to force you to consider, maybe I shouldn't be here right now. Maybe I need to go find a health item if those things exist. Maybe I need to go find better armor if that's a thing that exists. Maybe I need to go find a better weapon if that's a thing that exists, right? Because you might not know, unless you read the booklet where it literally spells all this out, but you might not know that those are things that exist in the world. And so kicking you out to the door and literally putting you one screen away from leaving and never thinking about this problem again with the smallest amount of health they can give you, which is the starting amount of health, forces you to take pause and say, at least at a minimum, I need to go somewhere and restore myself to full health before I bang my head at this again. But then it makes you think like, oh, maybe there are other levels. Maybe there are other items. Maybe there's a whole world out there that I should be exploring before I bang my head against this specific problem again. And I really want to believe that they did this on purpose. I want to believe that the three hearts, no matter what, is not just a lazy programmer or an accident of history or a bug, but that it is forcing the player to take pause and actually consider whether or not hurling themselves at the problem is actually the right way to proceed. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I think that, that that's something that I would not have been able to explain why that was a, a choice. Because if I remember correctly, that persists, at least through Link to the Past, if not through Ocarina as well. Uh, I'm, t- I'm not sure. I, I don't remember but, if that's true in Link to the Past or not, because 
I got pretty viscerally angry at it in this game. So it either didn't exist or restoring your health might be more trivial in Link to the Past. Well, restoring your health is way more trivial because you can put fairies in bottles. And you, you know, yeah, and you can carry multiple potions. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, that that's, that's kind of a game changer. And the game is easier and more deliberate in the order in which you need to do things. So... Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I really like that as an explanation. Um, the cycle time again, didn't hit me quite as bad this time because we played it on the switch. So there was the save state, which was helpful. But that being said, like I tried really hard to not abuse that, but there were definitely some times where I was like, this would have been bone crushingly frustrating if not for the ability to just hit this room again and again and again. And there were definitely some, (laughs) There's definitely a couple of times where like I went into a room and I'm like, if this room doesn't drop a key and I go in there and I kill all of the bad guys, I take this obscene amount of damage and uh, and there was no key. And I was like, I guess I don't need to be in this room. But so that's probably why I didn't quite pick up on it. But uh, but yes, I, I, I agree with your assessment that the idea is that they're like, hey, at, at a minimum go leave this place and try again, which means that you're probably, even just the time it takes to get back to the fairy pond and then get back, you're likely to accumulate rupees. And if you're accumulating rupees, then you can buy things like the blue ring or a better shield or more bombs or the arrows or all of these other things, you know? And you you have to know that things like this exist because there are blank spaces in your inventory, you know? So you've got to know that, that something's got to fill it, you know? So it could be like, oh, well, maybe I need more shit. Hell, maybe you need more keys. Go out and buy some more keys. You don't have to go through this door or anything if you got the keys, you know? Like Yeah. No, and and this this is uh this is why this feels like I'm not just forgiving the game design because there are so many other things that are obviously and kind of undebatably thoughtful. Uh and then there are foundational things that I disagreed with a little bit less, like certain things kill you basically instantly without the right item right so one example you gave is the rabbit things that will eat your lunch if you don't know to shoot them with arrows there's also the blue wizards and if you fight blue wizards without the magic shield which again the book tells you you need for this specific problem so if i'd known that but if you fight blue wizards without the magic shield, you die. You just die basically instantly unless you are a far better gamer than I ever planned to be. But here's the thing. The magic shield visually is only slightly larger than the normal shield. So you could, mm-hmm. in the heat of combat, not realize you've lost the magic shield. How would you lose the magic shield, you say? There is a stupid enemy that looks like a stack of pancakes, and when it eats you, it eats your shield. And when you're trying desperately not... I hate that name. I mean, you're right. Like-like? I don't know. It it doesn't look like a like-like. It's just the visual and the name don't go together to me. A like-like is what you would call like a mimic. Mm. yeah that's true but you know it's because you're supposed to like them they're fine they're pancakes yeah they eat your shield and the thing is yeah that is deeply horrifying because that that the amount the shields ain't cheap man well but the thing is the game designers are monsters and they put you in rooms that have blue wizards and like likes so while you are trying not to get murdered by the blue wizards you are desperately trying to not let the like like eat your magic shield because then the blue wizards will eat your magic lunch and it's just 
I, mm-hmm. I died. You're not mad. At <laughs> I died so <laughs> many times. And then finally, I put the switch down and I turned to Susan and I said, I swear to God, because I didn't realize I lost the shield. So I didn't know why I was getting my non-magic lunch so deftly eaten. And I was like, I swear to God, mm-hmm. if there was some stupid open sesame trick for how you were supposed to beat the blue wizards. And I happen to have my iPad next to me on the couch. So I picked it up and I went and looked through... Um, I just searched for like Blue Wizards Legend of Zelda and there's like a million threads of people like complaining about it. And like the very first one is like, oh, you you need the magic shield. But you may have had the magic shield and lost it because of the like likes. And I was just like, <laughs> and then that was when I found out that when you shoot arrows, it costs rupees. Because mm-hmm. arrows are more powerful than the white sword. They're not more powerful than the magic sword, but they are more powerful than the white sword. So when I first got the bow and I was like, oh, arrows are an unlimited resource. That's cool. I, I was Dang just it. firing. I was killing everything with arrows. <laughs> I was just, I was shooting corpses with arrows just because I had nothing better to do with my time. So when I realized that the like like had eaten my magic shield and I needed to go buy another magic shield, I also realized that I had no rupees because arrows were rupees. And so all of this information that had made this perfect storm of misery all synced up at the same time. (laughs) And so instead of using safe states to backtrack through dungeons, I use safe states to cheat at the casino game (laughs) so that Mm. I could make a crap ton of rupees so I could go buy another (laughs) magic shield. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Hey, man. I mean, we all use our time machine for different, one not more noble no. than another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or more <laughs> ignoble. But I just, I was like, I'm not going to wander the world reacquiring rupees. I just, I just won't. I, I refuse. Um, yes. No, that is, that is fantastic. But to, b- barring, barring a, a two hour long episode, do you have anything else on uh, mechanics? Ah. Uh... Oh, I will say just this one last thing uh, very quickly. Um, I do like that there is some small variety to how you defeat bosses. Like this boss is ultra vulnerable to arrows. This boss, you have to make it eat bombs. This boss, you just have to stab to death. This one, you have to stab to death, but a bunch of times because it has multiple heads, you know, the Hydra. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ganon, you got to shoot yeah, with the arrow, the silver arrow. Um, I like that because, uh, again, like Skyward Sword era Zelda... Um, is I think rightly panned that uh, all the bosses are like whack, whack, whack item you got in the dungeon, whack, whack, whack item you got in the dungeon. And the fact that going all the way back to the original Zelda, they were smarter than that really just makes Skyward Sword look even crappier because even be right. There were a lot of good Zeldas between the original Zelda, which got this right. And Skyward Sword, which got this catastrophically wrong. So I just, I wanted to point out that of the many foundational things that came from the original Zelda, boss variety is one of them. And I appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. No, the, the, the game was, uh, I mean, it, it had a lot of pioneering elements, mostly because nothing had come from it before. And it, and, and rightfully so, you know, uh, but yeah. So with all that said, did it hold up? If you will accept, and and I am willing to accept, if you will accept that this is a game that like a board, a video game that like a board game requires the booklet 
to have all of the information you need to play the game, then I would say this is no nostalgia goggles required. It is hard. It is really, really unforgivingly confusing at certain spots. But if you are willing to put in the time, you do have all of the information you need. It's just one of the pieces of the puzzle is a large volume of time, right? Keep trying to set trees on fire until you've set the right tree on fire. But you know that setting trees on fire is a thing you can do, so you just have to find the right trees. Now, I personally was not willing to put in a nearly unlimited amount of time, but I don't think it's bad design for the time coupled with the instruction manual. So it's no nostalgia goggles required with an asterisk, but realistically, if someone came to me and they were like, oh, I'd love to play one of the early Zeldas, I would be like, just start with Link to the Past. Just... If you don't like Link to the Past, you don't like Zelda, Like you don't need to go all the way back to the original Zelda to know. I do think that this game gets some things right that Link to the Past was starting to become formulaic about. But if you don't like Link to the Past, you don't like Zelda. Like There's no reason to bang your head against these super complicated puzzles just so you could say you did it. If you want to bang your head against these super complicated puzzles, yes, go for it. It's fantastic. But if you're just trying to play Zelda, just start with Link to the Past. It's fine. So no, no nostalgia goggles required, but a hard asterisk on the end of that. So for me, like if, if I had to give it, you know, like a, a raw, you know, like score, like, like of what we've decided so far, I would probably go with, with no nostalgia goggles, but I'm going to give this nostalgia transitions lenses because here's the thing. (laughs) Shut up. You, you, you hedging bastard. <laughs> Shut up. You love it. So, okay. Because here's the thing. Here's, here, here's honestly, like, like my, my, my thing with the game is that, is that when you start off, I'd say the first 10 hours of gameplay, no nostalgia goggles required, right? You just play around with the levels. You'll find, you may find Dungeon 1. You may find Dungeon 3, you know? But, like, you can just kind of go through. You'll probably get the white sword, you know? You'll, you'll you know, have fun and you'll explore the world and it'll be great. And if that's all you want to do, you know, to have played the game, then that's fine. If you're setting out to beat it, like every level past Dungeon 4 is more and more you've got to have played this game as a kid and really <laughs> loved it to see it through because it more and more of its cracks and its obtuseness just start to just, you know, start to come through. Where all of a sudden, like, literally, once I got to Dungeon 7, because like, this was this game. I literally was just picking it up whenever I wanted to, and just playing it and enjoying it, and like taking notes. And it was great. And then I got to about Dungeon Six, and I just didn't really want to play it anymore because I'm like, <laughs> this isn't this isn't really that fun. I've got to like sit here and like look at the walkthrough and then go through this. It just like the fun was lost on me. So unless you like beat it as a kid and really loved like fighting these one bosses or this one, then it, it loses its allure. So literally, this is the first game that I think that we've played where. The longer you play it, the more nostalgia goggles you need for it. You know, it's not like an 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 on-off binary at the beginning. Like, like literally, the longer you play it, the more awful the game becomes. The more its its cracks really start to show through. You know, the 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 more and and that is exactly why one would need transition transition lenses because their age is starting to show, but it's not it's not so obvious. They're not wearing giant Coke bottle you know, lenses, they're just, 
they're just they're getting up there in years, you know. They need a little bit yeah. of help. Well, I think, like to me, it's it's kind of like you know, like when you first play the game, you've you've woken up early in the morning, you know, it's like four a.m. Yeah, you're going around. It's like as the sun starts to rise on the difficulty curve of this game, you need to the the tint of the nostalgia goggles to get stronger and stronger. But in my personal opinion, overall, this adventure of Link was like an awakening being woven through some beautiful ocarina of time and linked to a past that I really loved. The curtain falls, the music plays, the credits roll, then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself, the fanfare is gone, there's no player to there by your side to share victories won But as you slowly progress Down the hall to your bed A few great events Leak back into your head From the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil Fighting the darkness Just sword in hand your memories creeping with the end of a smile. You realize again what you lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less on how you saved the day than on all the experience gained. At the end of it all, gamers play what we play. Ocarina of Time one felt forced. <laughs> it, it was, and I wasn't supposed to say it like that. Yeah. yeah, no, you're you're getting this clip after the music. Okay, that's fair. <laughs>